This is Ed Helms. You're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 32, Local Ad and Branch Wars. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! (laughs) Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go And welcome to episode 32 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the fifth and sixth episodes of season four, entitled Local Ad and Branch Wars, which originally aired Thursday, October 25th and Thursday, November 1st, 2007. It's two for the price of one this week as Michael both fires up his creative juices and dons a mustache for justice. Where Ryan doubts Michael's creativity, Michael puts his reputation on the line to produce the best commercial you've ever seen by a local paper manufacturing company. And what's this? Stanley leaving Scranton? Now I know how George Bush must have felt when Colin Powell left office. Michael won't go down without a fight, however, and a PT cruiser full of Molotov cocktails will set things right. Remember, the eyes are the groin to the head. And, uh, Pam? Yes? Can you clear those phone lines? Certainly. Beep, 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 Okay, clear. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? And joining me at the water cooler this week is our traveling salesman, Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, uh, pretty good. It's always good to be back uh, here. At, that's what she said. Although, you know, it's kind of a pretty easy gig, especially when your boss is not an idiot and your boyfriend is not in love with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I'm glad my boyfriend is uh, sticking to the right and narrow path there. But uh, as it was, yeah, it's been two weeks since we've had a regular episode here of That's What She Said. And if you haven't been uh, paying attention to your RSS feed, I guess you might not have been aware that uh, I did end up going to the office convention last weekend in Scranton. Uh, I had a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I covered this all pretty well on the the blog page. did a couple of convention reports there and released so far three episodes of audio from the convention, the Writer's Block, the Blogger's Breakfast, and the cast Q&A. And, you know, I was uh, I was a little concerned. I wasn't really sure what was going to happen there. It was a 13-hour drive or so, very last minute that this all came together. And, you know, we got there, and after resting <laughs> that first night, it was pretty fun. I had a good time. Uh, let me tell you, press pass does wonders, my friend. No lines, no waiting. Got to interview the cast before the big Q&A with the other official press people. Also, during that big cast Q&A thing, I got to sit down. Like I was sitting literally like three feet in front of the cast for the whole time in the little press uh, photography area. So it was very cool. Um, met and talked to pretty much everybody at least for a few seconds. And I got to say, Angela, definitely, I mean, this is kind of a cliche, but Angela Kinsey is by far the nicest 
nicest person on that cast, I gotta say. She's very warm and accommodating to uh to a sorry old podcaster like myself. Yeah, none of the cast <laughs> I'd speculated about this before, Kevin, but uh, no one on the show had ever heard of my show before. So <laughs> Well, you know, that's all right. But they, they've heard about it now, and I think the name and uh, the fact that you were there is going to get a big reaction. And I know you've got a bunch of those uh, show IDs, and that is just great because it's always good to hear from the actual cast members. Yeah, it was that. cool. Uh, definitely. I mean, I felt a little weird. Like, I didn't really have much to say to them uh, that hadn't been already asked a lot of times. So I, I just felt like I had to get a quick, um, oh, by the way, can you do this little bumper thing for the show and yeah. uh, they're all nice and accommodating pretty much to uh to get those taken care of some of them are a little a little off um i to play the one from melora hard is kind of funny but <laughs> you'll have to wait for that one until uh, another couple weeks i guess now i know that you did a really great job on your blog uh, talking about some of the things that you did where you you know bumped into mindy kaling at the mall and and all that stuff and i think you did a really good job on the coverage and i really liked the show audio so on behalf of the rest of the listeners i want to thank you for putting that together and putting them out in in pretty close to real time and uh definitely very much appreciated yeah well i mean i tried my best i came home after that uh cast q a on saturday night and i posted the episode on that saturday night now unfortunately itunes this last week like itunes was going through some kind of meltdown with their podcasts and uh, and they didn't update their their store feed for like a week. So if you were just browsing, if you weren't a subscriber to the podcast there, you might not have seen that I'd even put those episodes together. It was kind of frustrating. I had them out uh, two episodes, so one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and then the next one on Monday, right after I came back. So I tried to get in there with that uh, that coverage. Got a got a little link up, little mention there from Office Tally, which is always appreciated. I have to say. Now, let me ask you a few questions about this convention. Sure. So how many people were there? Because the, the cast audios that you were posting made it sound like there was about a million people screaming and yelling for their favorite <laughs> cast members. In fact, all the cast members. <laughs> well, you know what? The, that, that's the thing. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, and I just have to check the, uh, with the convention people to see because you had so many different levels of ticket that you could buy. I mean... Um, if you bought the lowest level ticket, you didn't get into any of the, of, I can't remember how this went. I think it was like standing room only. If, if there was room, you could get into the event. If there wasn't room, you, you know, you couldn't, uh, that cast Q and a though, dude, that was like in the, in the college gymnasium. And that thing was packed. Um, like all the bleachers up to the ceiling and then every, all the chairs filled in all the rows all the way back to the whole thing. So there was at least a couple thousand people that were uh, at that cast Q and a, at least probably, um, I don't know, uh, several hundred thousand people at the writer's block. Maybe I'm over exaggerating it a little bit, but, uh, there seemed like a lot of, definitely there was a big crowd. Now I know you're also a big comic book fan and I'm sure you've gone to some comic book conventions. Can you compare the crowd at this office convention to any comic conventions? Well, it's kind of funny because I was talking to um, Jay Black, who's one of the bloggers from uh, TV, TVSquad.com, I think. He was there covering the show, and we kind of started chatting about this. And, and he made the point that, you know, <laughs> he and I both agree that this is like no other convention that we'd been to. I mean, everybody there, aside from the fact that they're big, you know, insane fans of The Office, everybody was very nice. Um, you know, you had very assumingly normal looking people there that you don't often sometimes get at a, a science fiction convention. Uh -huh. um, 
a lot of something that you'd never hardly well you rarely see at a comic book convention a lot of attractive women that were there at the uh, <laughs> at the at the office convention i mean there everybody it was just 20 something 30 year old 40 year old you know a very wide selection of people as many women as as men that were there probably more women i guess if i had to say but um well. You know, as a very, very nice, polite, friendly crowd, and as you said, I mean, you kind of mentioned to me that you thought it was a little maybe over the top that people treated uh, Bobby Ray Schaefer like he was Ringo Starr or something at these yeah, events. I mean, but it's, it's the blogger event, and you know, <laughs> yes, it's great that the stars are blogging, but I think you know the rest of the bloggers got like one question in there, and you know. Well, I would have liked to have heard from some of the office bloggers, not just one question from Office Tally and, and none for you. I mean, well, I know, yeah. I mean, I understand, but I, I, I don't know. The whole point of it is, I guess, my point is that the atmosphere at this place was was just crazy. I mean, it was a very positive vibe. I mean, very, very enthusiastic crowd. Um, people were happy to interact with the cast, and were very, you know, they were they were glad that they were there. So they were very, very appreciative. Um, I don't. I mean, quite frankly, I don't think that there's been a bigger cheer for uh, Andy Buckley. I mean, you can hear in some of those audio clips that people are chanting CFO, CFO all the time. Um, I don't know where well, that comes from, but I mean, well, David. That, and that was kind of my point is that, you know, when, when the guys get introduced or whatever, you know, give them a big cheer. That's cool. But every time they said something, it was like this gigantic cheer. It's like, all right, I'm sick of this cheering going crazy i mean it, it was i don't know i was i was i was sick of the cheering about five minutes into each of those audios you oh know? man well so, kevin all i can I, say i'm really glad that the office convention happened and it seemed like it you know even though it kind of came through at the last at the last minute it seemed like it really was a well-run event and uh you know not that they couldn't be improved for next year but it really was. It did seem to be a good event, so I'm really glad about that. Yeah, it was. I mean, for the fir- for a first convention, it it um, you know we had talked about this before that that it was kind of annoying that they didn't have the guests all ironed out and they all this ironed out before the show started. But you know, once we got there, it was it was actually fairly well put together. Um, the only thing I can say, Kevin, is I hope that next year you can be in Scranton and your heart will grow ten sizes that day, my friend, because <laughs> it was. Uh, it was, I don't know what I don't know what to say. I mean, people just had smiles on their faces. It was a fun atmosphere. Um, you know, everybody was hyped to be there. I guess and you know, you paid a lot, some of those people paid a lot of money. You paid a lot of money to get your ticket to uh, to get into these events, and so people were enthusiastic. I think about everything. So. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, you know, at the blo- I made mention of that too at the bloggers' breakfast. That that was one event that I didn't think was organized too well. Um, the, the, seriously, I have to say though, the cast Q and A on Saturday that was the best organized Q and A I've ever been to. The way that they did it, they you know they they pre-screened all the questions. Mm-hmm. They they took questions from from fans and submitted them to the website, but they pre-screened all the questions. They gave uh, equal number of questions to every cast member. Um, they just went down the road so that no one got more than anyone else. Everyone got the same access. Everyone got to say something, and uh, you know it was it was it was fantastic. I've been to so many bad sci-fi conventions where you know they'll just like a couple of years ago. Speaking of branch wars, a couple of years ago I went down to the Chicago Comic Con to see Joss Whedon uh, give a talk and give a Q and A, and it was it was horrendous. I mean, basically what happened is you have like. Six, seven hundred nerds in a room, and uh, 
the guy just walked to the podium and said, okay, well, let's start taking questions. It was just ridiculous. Every person that came up there was just like, you know, uh, Mr. Reedon, uh, you're, you're a god. Uh, I just want to say that you're awesome. And, uh, you know, it was, it was embarrassing to me. I, I just, you don't get any good information. <laughs> you get bad questions. You know, you can't really screen the questions. So this was very, very well put together, very well done. The, um, the writer's panel was sort of similar to that. Um, unfortunately, again, that, like the blogger's breakfast, they didn't spread the questions around really to everybody. Um, they had questions from from the fans, from the audience, but they just kind of threw it out there. Usually, like, anybody want to answer this? And, right. uh, and so what you ended up with is, of course, that most people want to ask questions to uh, Greg Daniels. Most people want to ask questions to Mindy Kaling and B.J. Novak. And so those three, and then Jennifer Salata kind of had a lot to say, and uh, Mike Shore piped in with a few things. But then most of the other writers, yeah, they didn't really have too much, uh, too much to say or too much to add, and maybe that's just because they're not known or they're just new people there. Maybe they didn't feel like they had a lot of a lot of stuff to say. But um, yeah, I mean, all in all, I guess like I said, it was. I think it was fairly successful for the first year. And the God's honest truth is, I almost don't know how they can make a second year convention, um, simply because I can't imagine the same thing all coming together like this uh, and everybody being there uh, like they were this year. But you know, maybe they will. I don't know. It was a great experience. I'm I'm very glad that I went and I know that um, the writing team actually talked about that they they cruised around town in, in uh, some vans and so they're, they're doing a lot of location ideas for future episodes so that's uh, that's pretty interesting I guess a little more a little more authentic Scranton in our show in the next couple of months very good maybe <laughs> seeing as the strike is going on I don't know maybe that won't happen anymore but, uh, but we'll talk about that more later so yeah two episodes here to talk about and it's kind of weird going back to these half hour long episodes man after those first four weeks um i know some people were really critical like uh hour long's too much we need to get back to the half hour when i watched local ad i was a little bit disappointed i think it wasn't longer i gotta say um it really felt short I, I just I, I posted this before and I've said this before, but I, I wish that we would have somewhere in between, you know, like uh, a solid 30 minutes of airtime. Um, that's that's about how much those supersized ones were last year. The 40 minutes with commercials came out to about 28 minutes of airtime. Um, that I think is the perfect amount of time, and unfortunately, <laughs> we have no way to to get a show with that amount of time. Now they're also talking apparently NBC is pretty pleased with the ratings for those hour long shows so we might we might see more of those next year if uh you know if if things go the way they are um i know scrubs <laughs> scrubs is not, is just tanking in the ratings losing like huge huge amount of the office's lead in ratings let's start i guess let's break it down about that local ad okay what did you think about that episode worst episode ever <laughs> I think I la I wrote in my notes I laughed three three times for the entire episode. Just, <laughs> which which three times were those? Oh, I you know I mean it, it, there were some there were some feel good moments and there were some interesting things about the characters but it did not make me laugh. And yeah. as a comedy, that's kind of the basis of how I rate the episode. Uh, a lot of stuff in this episode I did not like, and we'll, I guess when we get to it we'll talk about that. But uh, as a general rule, nearly I mean might be my worst 
episode ever. Man, that's some pretty big hyperbole there, I got to say. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if I'm set to go that far. I mean, I agree with you that there wasn't necessarily a lot of huge laughs, but I felt the same way about Money, actually, the week before, that it, it was more of a character kind of episode, and, and there weren't that many really big laughs. Uh, to me, again, this... You know, Local Ad is kind of a funny episode because it is... It, it did turn out to be a very sort of feel-good episode, which after after four weeks of Michael, you know, getting just crapped upon, I think that this... On the one hand, it came as a relief to see him do something well, I guess, or, uh, or you know, that is commercial. Well, sort of. well, yeah, I mean, it is... The commercial came together pretty well, and you got to admit that it was actually a lot better than than uh, you had any right to expect from him. Well, absolutely, <laughs> but of course he also threw away that really good theme song that they all wrote. So, well, that's true. Just for some generic, uh, yeah, some generic chariots of fire music. That, that's too bad, I guess. But uh, <laughs> but that wasn't his vision, man. That wasn't uh, that wasn't Michael's creative vision. And yeah, I mean, it was. You know, I'm having a hard. It's kind of funny talking about this because even though I've watched it three times the last two days, I'm having a hard time remembering what I thought about it. I didn't feel too strongly one way or the other. I guess. I guess that's about as far as we can leave it there. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about then Branch Wars because I know that you had a very different reaction to that. What did you think about that one? Oh, I liked a lot, and I liked I liked a lot of stuff. I laughed at a lot of stuff. Of course, very ridiculous, but as a general rule, again, if it makes me laugh, thumbs up. Yeah, you know, and I posted, I I got to see the first 10 minutes of this episode at the, at the convention, and I posted on the blog that I thought it was hilarious, and I think that's the point. You know, I, I, I think that you bring up an interesting point about that as far as, you know, it made you laugh, and so it was successful, because it did make me laugh, and a lot of people have said on the blog that this is the most that they've laughed at an episode in a while, but they're not necessarily sure if that's a, like a good thing or not, or if that's... Uh, let me see if I can try to explain this here, what what, uh, what people are saying, is that it's a very funny episode, definitely, taken out of context. I mean, there's a lot of funny gags, um, a lot of funny bits. Uh, taken as as part of the whole of The Office, it can seem to be maybe maybe a little cartoonish in some of its over-the-top, and there's that word again, um, mm-hmm. some of its kind of activities that happened in this episode. It, it almost seemed really disconnected from the seriousness of any of the other kind of plots that we've had so far, the first five episodes of the season. Um, and again, I mean, this was written by, by Mindy Kaling, um, and she at the blog, at the writer's block, made mention of the fact that the writer's Sometimes they felt like they had to do these sort of really ridiculous plot things, like Michael driving into the lake, for example, to just kind of kickstart and get out of the rut that they can find themselves in just being in the office all the time. I don't know what I think about that because I'm one of those people that doesn't, you know, I like them in the office and having that small humor. But like I said, I, what can I say? I laughed at this on Sunday when I watched this first 10 minutes. I laughed hysterically. I thought it was uh, really funny. Um, you know, when Michael comes face to face with Flenderson and his bow tie, <laughs> and, uh, and just stares at that for a minute and just, you know, has no words to talk about. I mean, it's, just, it's hilarious. It, it is hilarious. However, I think it plays out maybe just a little too little too crazy in the later half of the episode, I guess. But let's go ahead and get started with local ad here. And uh, as we said, uh, Michael has a new opportunity, and I'll just let him kind of explain what he's up to. We are making a commercial for Dunder Mifflin today, our first ad ever. 
Corporate purchased some airtime in local markets to spread the word about Dunder Mifflin Infinity, and they are even sending up a professional ad company to help us make it later. So it's uh, not too shabby. You know what? I want this to be cutting edge. I want it to be fast, quick cuts, you know, youthful, sort of um, MTV on crack kind of thing. That sounds great. All right, good. I think it's great that the company's making a commercial because not very many people have heard of us. I mean, when I tell people that I work at Dunder Mifflin, they think that we sell mufflers or muffins or mittens. or And frankly, all of those sound better than paper, so I let it slide. So there we go. I mean, Michael's overly super ambitious persona as usual. You know, he wants to take control, take charge of this whole thing, and he has some quite grandiose ideas as far as what he wants to do with uh, with the commercial there. And, and you know, that, that's the thing. This is another episode where, again, where Michael is sort of like the crazy Don Quixote kind of guy where he's going against the the conventional wisdom to follow his dream, to follow his vision. I, I don't know what is, <laughs> why he's so obsessed with these uh, images of, you know, okay, pan back to, <laughs> you know, it starts off as, now what do you say, a young girl picking a flower and then pans <laughs> back to the girls in the middle of a desert and pans back to a hotel, all these crazy ass things, but... Well, you know, Michael, you know, he he fancies himself a creative guy. I mean, he, he's really good with the Photoshop. I mean, in past seasons, he's, right, he's been exactly. using that stuff and edited something on his Mac or whatever. So this is right in his uh, wheelhouse, right? Yeah, exactly. When he was using, uh, when he was only five years old, too, he invented the unicorn. You know, and this is the thing, though. Unfortunately, though, Michael's ad, his concept, his high concept there, just doesn't quite mesh with uh, with what the ad guys have to bring him. But we zoom back further. Okay, I can, I can tell that your time is valuable. Actually, I don't get paid by the hour anymore, but thank you. I get paid by the year. So That all sounds really, really ambitious. Yeah, I know. Why don't we show you what we did with the Nashville branch? That's what Nashville came up with? That sucks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's what we came up with. Well, we can do better than that. Well, the main part of the ad has to stay the same, actually. Yeah, it's the last five seconds where we have some leeway. The waving? Well, no, no, you don't have to be waving. That was just what they did. You guys can be clapping, and we're sitting, standing outside, inside, whatever. I mean, this is where you really get to be creative. That was probably one of the best parts of the episode in my... <laughs> I, I actually did like the line, I get paid by the year. And um, the look on Michael's face, I mean, this is where I get to be creative? That's crazy. That's completely <laughs> ridiculous that he was... Well, I don't, you never know if Michael was, you know, taking what he was told and running with it or if they misled him to say, you get to be really creative with whatever, and it actually turns out to be the last five seconds of this <laughs> standard ad. Uh, but that is kind of ridiculous. You know, this is where you get to be creative. I mean, come on. That's crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, but it makes sense as, as well. I mean, this is a corporate ad. that They want to air it in a different market. So, you know, uh, all they want to do is have a cheap little fix to personalize it for each individual marketplace. You know what else is kind of weird? That you know the fact that they they said that they're advertising this to to tie in with the Dunder Mifflin Infinity Project, but yet they made no mention of the website or anything to do with Dunder Mifflin Infinity in the commercial. Uh, maybe those special effects hadn't been put in yet. Yeah, I guess that uh, that could be the case. Well, you know, Michael, like you said, obviously he is not taking this. He's not happy with the way things are, and he's going to call his boss and complain. It's me. Hello, Rye. What? Let's have a small problem. Here is the deal. The ad guys that you sent are locking me in a creative box. And sort of ignoring my ideas. That's good. They're creative. You're not. 
I'm creative, Ryan. It's not part of your job. It's like, maybe you can cook. But that doesn't mean you should start a restaurant. Well, actually, I can't cook, and I am starting a restaurant. Mike's Cereal Shack. Okay, I'm not really interested in that right now. I'm delegating creativity to creative professionals. It's a different skill set. A lot of the way that this season's played out here so far is that Ryan says no, or Ryan challenges Michael. Michael doesn't like it. Michael's going to show, show Ryan up, and that motivates a lot of his behavior. Well, after getting shot down there by Ryan and uh, and realizing that his creativity is being stifled, uh, Michael actually <laughs> has the balls, I guess, to go down and tell these guys to take off. I, it's kind of funny how like these guys just ah, whatever. I'm not gonna argue with this guy. Good luck, dude. He takes off. Michael, of course, then gets a call from our favorite CFO. Michael David Wallace. What is this about dismissing the ad people? Yeah, I'm glad you called. Ryan is being a little bitch again. Come on, Michael. What's up, my brother? Listen, David, I would like to do this ad in-house. I want to use only the creativity that we have right here in the office, and I will send it to you tomorrow morning. Take a look at it. If you do not think that it's ready to air, send the ad agency back down here, and we'll do it on my dime. This is weird. I'm willing to stake my entire reputation on it. Okay. And thus, Michael Scott sealed his own destiny. Man, so much for his money troubles, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> he's playing with fire there, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, you got to give it to him. I mean, he had a vision, and he was willing to stake his reputation, and we'll, I guess we'll just have to see how it turns out, right? And, yeah, like you said before, man, <laughs> Ryan's being a little bitch. Hey, I'm on, Michael. <laughs> What's up, my brother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice sidestep there. Um I actually thought this next scene was pretty hilarious. Then, now that he's promised to make a, an entire commercial in in like eighteen hours, <laughs> and have it done and edited and ready to go, uh, Michael realized he's got to rally the troops. Has anyone ever come up to you and said you're not creative? Well, they're wrong. You are creative, each and every one of you. You are so much more creative than all of the other dry, boring morons that you work with. Who are you talking to specifically? We have three scenes to film. We have a song to write. Kelly wants you to do makeup. Oscar, I would like you to do costume design, obviously. Phyllis, I'd like you to look around town and see if we have any celebrities in our local area. Sue Grafton is at the Seamtown Mall. She's doing a book signing right now. Okay, okay. Phyllis, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get her to be in this commercial. This would be a huge coup, people. Do not take no for an answer. Okay. You know, okay, so Michael rallies everybody. I, I don't know. I like that line in there. I guess. But the, the, <laughs> the, the, the lines about Oscar doing costumes, of course. I mean, yeah. again, I, I've, I've heard those kind of lines, and you know, time and time again. And uh, this whole Michael going against what corporate wants and corporate saying no to him. I mean, again, it's stuff we've seen before. And, and unless it's new or interesting or has a different kind of twist, or unless the lines are funny then uh, it's really not very, you know, good. And uh, that's kind of what was my take on it, this part oh, of the man. episode anyway. Kevin, can't you hear the Who's down in Whoville singing? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it warming your heart a little bit? Oh, my God. All right, well, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's, I'm having a hard time talking about this episode. and it, it, It's not that I didn't even – I didn't dislike it. I didn't – didn't really not like the episode. I actually enjoyed it. I got a kick out of it. I I enjoyed the uh, the ending. I thought it was really interesting. But I'm having a really hard time kind of like remembering 
any kind of big highlights. So maybe that's part of maybe maybe we need maybe we do need those crazy scenes of driving into lakes and other stuff to uh, to make these episodes stand out. I don't know. This, maybe if I just had a maybe if I just had a really good jingle in my head, it'd make <laughs> me have my toes tapping throughout the episode. It might well, help. you know, like I said, they get Daryl and the keyboards, and he makes some uh, musical magic up in the office. Another paper out of stock. The friendly faces around the block break loose from the chain that are causing your pain. Call Michael and Sally, Jim Dry Creek. Call Anthony and Kelly for your business paper needs. Dunder Mifflin, people purchase paper, people. Dunder Mifflin, people purchase paper. Time out, time out, time out. I thought I was under the impression that this was going to be a rap. Let's wrap. Okay, Daryl, wow. You need to learn a lot about your own culture. I'll make you a mix. Great. This is not me. This is not it's not my music. You're right, it's better than you. It's us. No, no, I hate it. I hate it. I don't hate it. I just don't like it at all. And it's terrible. I like Kevin drumming along. That scene. Well, it's kind of funny that you know they have all the all the singers. You got Creed there and Andy uh, and Kelly and and Kevin. You know everybody that's from their musical band. Absolutely. They're uh, singing back up there. I don't know. That that was a pretty interesting little jingle. I got to say. I don't I don't know which one I prefer. The the, the jazzier late night version or the uh, <laughs> the little peppier morning version. I'm not sure, but. You know, I, it's kind of funny, I, and I want to point this out that some people I, I saw mention this that they thought it was hilarious that uh, that they said Indian Kelly in the lyrics, but uh, come on, it's Andy and Kelly, folks. Yes. So there you go. Ah, that's pretty funny, and the fact I don't know, no no laughs for that line about I'll make you a mix. Come on. No. <laughs> Again, you know, not a laugh out loud at least. Oh my God. Fighting with the stone statue here, folks. Well, um, <laughs> and I got a kick out of that line. I don't know. Michael, again, I guess you could say we're used to Michael's, you know, obliviousness and everything else. But I don't know. I just thought it was funny. <sighs> well, well that, is a, that is a true Michael Scott moment, to, that he'd, you know, solving the problem involving a mixtape, right? <laughs> well, I wonder what uh, what raps that Michael would put on that mixtape as uh to represent his uh, his love of rap. I don't know. DJ Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> Sometimes parents just don't understand, I gotta say. Well, you know, the thing is then, of course, Michael is, is unhappy. They they put it together, they finish everything, and, you know, this is one thing I want to ask, I guess, about this here at the end, is that we saw something in this episode that we've never seen before in the last three seasons of The Office, and it was a cut and then followed by, on the bottom of the screen, 10 days later. Uh, did that strike you as odd or weird, or did you think about that when you were watching the episode at all? I did notice that, that that was a bit unusual, and um, I think it was well explained that, you know, obviously they're not going to film the ad and have the show that same day, and they need to show that there's been some passage of time uh, for the official airing of the ad. So that's okay. Yeah, um, but why, why could unusual, it... That it's a you know contained storyline is the local ad, but why couldn't Michael have just said, "Well, it's been a week, and here's the ad." Oh. I, it struck me as really weird. I don't know, like maybe that's the director because you know this uh, local ad that was directed by another outside big name director, Jason Reitman, 
And I don't know mm, if that was right. his call to do that or if the writers thought that that was – maybe they thought it was a visual gag to go from Michael calling, like, oh, I, they're going to listen to it right away. I better call. And then it cuts and says 10 days later. Maybe that was supposed to be a, a visual joke. I just – I thought it was really strange. You know, it was really, really odd since we've never gotten any kind of time cuts like that before. I think you're right that it probably is a joke because it, by showing that it's clear what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, or maybe there was a line that got cut out, and so this was their way of sort of showing what happened. Well, Michael goes into the bar. They play the ad. Everyone actually finds it quite amusing, apparently. Um, but Michael is crushed. You know, he's tells <laughs> tells the bartender that you know, oh, well, our ad was way better. Um, you know, it was, it was much more wonderful. And, and then we have Jim here, uh, again, stepping up as uh, Mr. Mr. Nice Guy. First it was Dwight the week before, and now we get uh, Jim consoling Michael with uh, the final ad. Well, the uh, geniuses of corporate rejected my commercial, and tonight they are airing the Brain Dead version. So welcome, one and all, to the world premiere of Corporate Crap Fest. Hey, you seem like a big hit. No, people are stupid. People like waving. Waving cells, not art. Yet we made our ad, the real one, was full of humor and full of depth and full of heart, and it was real. Hey, can you do me a favor? Could you put that in the DVD player? Hey, everybody. Just want to welcome you all to the premiere of the real Dunder Mifflin commercial. Michael Scott Director's Cut. Hope you like it. It all starts with an idea. But you can never tell where an idea will end up. Because ideas spread. They change. Grow. Come on, no laugh. They connect Kelly and India green screen joke. And in a fast-moving world, where good news moves at the speed of time, and bad news isn't always what it seems, because when push comes to shove, a second chance. was a really great commercial and but you know lots of funny stuff uh stanley picking up the paper on the side of the freeway <laughs> yeah, I, just, I, would imagine, I would imagine how stanley agreed to do that to be <laughs> to be the prisoner yeah but you know i mean it was lots of good stuff there and i liked dwight being you know phyllis's son and uh jim of course in this scene 
becomes Mr. Cool again. Uh, you know, he's kind of a jerk <laughs> earlier in the episode and the other storyline, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But, you know, that was just a great way to end the episode. I'm, I'm not saying this is a terrible, terrible episode, but it just didn't make me laugh that much. And, right. Uh, but at least this part was really good at the end. Really good feel-good feel good moment. And, yeah, uh, it was. You know, it was a superior commercial. <laughs> but like I said before, if you listen to the actual words that Michael says, it's a lot of nonsense. The whole uh, good news travels at the speed of time. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, what, limitless paper in a paperless world? <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. That's <laughs> But, no, I love that stuff. It's so lame. Like, the thing where Dwight comes up to Phyllis's door, and it says, you have a son, and it's me. <laughs> but it's a good example of how you use paper. I mean, they're showing you how to use the product, and, and it's it's a different kind of ad. I mean, it's something you wouldn't see, but it would make you interested in paper. I don't know. And Thunder Mifflin's a great logo there at the end, and animated and everything else. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, this is the type of thing that's actually good to show on The Office, at least every once in a while, that Michael Scott doesn't isn't a complete idiot, that he does know what he's doing sometimes. Right. And that, you know, this was a better ad. And yeah, obviously, not as professional, they could clean that up, but the concept was better. And they need to show him making sales from time to time, not being a complete idiot. And right. uh, in this case, winning the respect of his branch employees because they saw that he went out on the line and he included everyone in a very equal way in this ad and highlighted their talents, well, not quite with the song, but <laughs> it, for the most part, yeah. he included everybody and he, he did a good job and included everybody. That's true, and I got to say, I I don't know, I, I, I got a little warm and fuzzy there at the end. But yeah, and they, they, you can almost say it was maybe it was a little too easy. Everybody's smiling and he's so there's reaction shots of all the all the branch employees, you know, with big grins on their faces, and and everybody's happy, and and Michael pulls it out, gets the respect he so desperately craves there, and again blows his budget by buying a round of drinks for everybody <laughs> in the bar. Poor so, oh yeah, man. You know what? I just the, the that's the one thing I did not get to the actual poor Richards location but uh oh i'm sure that place was packed all weekend right? well you should have seen them they were down at the uh at the square they're uh selling i think they sold about a million t-shirts and uh, and other stuff the adam the guy that i drove with he i think he bought a, a t-shirt uh a hoodie and uh, a pint glass <laughs> all from uh nice. from poor richards there so a lot of people were doing the same so uh, i heard a rumor that the owner of that place wasn't a fan of the show but i'm sure he uh Slept in a big pile of money after that weekend was over with. Oh, man. Well, there we go. Local local ad uh, for the Michael plot line here. Now, let's talk about the other plot line that was going through this episode. And uh, it's kind of confusing, I guess. There's a lot of people involved in this. So I'm going to just call it basically the Dwight, Andy, Pam, and Jim plot line. Uh, it was all sort of intersected here. Sure. Now, one of the things I thought was weird that uh, struck me as odd about this episode when I watched it, because if you remember... Um, the the big payoff from money when Jim has his talk with Dwight and all that stuff, I mean, it makes it look like Dwight is back to Dwight. He's over this stuff. He's over moping around. He's not going to worry about this anymore. You know, he's back to his old self. And the very next week, then we have this another episode where he's moping around. So I, I that struck me as really kind of... I guess, I don't know, a little strange, or I wasn't expecting it, I guess. I mean, it still makes sense. You're right, though. I, I didn't notice that until you mentioned it, but you're right. I mean, he's taking a step backwards, and it is kind of a bummer. I, I, I'd rather him 
either move on from Angela or why do we even have that sort of payoff of him going back to normal, right? Well, whatever the case may be. And uh, how is Dwight showing that he's a loser and that he's withdrawing from life? Well, by playing a video game. Playing that game again? Second Life is not a game. It doesn't have points or scores. It doesn't have winners or losers. Or it has losers. I signed up for Second Life about a year ago. Back then, my life was so great that I literally wanted a second one. In my second life, I was also a paper salesman, and I was also named Dwight. Absolutely everything was the same, except I could fly. Matt, do you play Second Life? You know what? I've never played that game. I've never gone into it. I've heard about it for a couple years now. Um, I've, I've played it, you know, sort of seen enough of it to know kind of what's going on. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people who like to play Second Life, but... I don't. I can't think of anything much more boring than watching somebody play Second Life, and that's exactly <laughs> what I felt watching Dwight in this episode. Well, great, we can see Dwight's character fly. Oh, Isn't man. this exciting? Right, come on, we only watched that for like 30 seconds worth of airtime. I got to say, it wasn't that much of a plot twist. I think the point that they try to set up, you know, obviously that he's withdrawing from reality, um, becoming more and more engrossed in, in this online. RPG type of game, and you know, I, I, I'm so, I'm wondering like if there was any kind of paid cross promotion tie-in. You're wondering? I was just <laughs> assuming. Well, I'm assuming. I, I didn't hear anything official, I guess. So, so I just threw that out there. But you know, I, yeah, I never played it. I, I sort of heard that it was like really popular. It was for a while, like actual companies were getting involved in it and like putting up fake branches of their businesses, and people were having like virtual concerts and stuff in there. Um, yeah, it was about 18 months ago. It yeah, it was really like a cute. while ago. <laughs> uh, hasn't, yeah, not definitely not cutting edge right now, which sort of makes sense, I guess, that these guys would be involved with it at this point. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've never been in there. I mean, it seems like it, I, I can understand the appeal as someone who's spent many hours playing The Sims. Ah, uh, I see. Sure. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dwight is lost there in his second life, and what's driving him further and further into the game is... Andy's constant updating about his romances with Angela. I need some advice. Been spending a lot of time making out with Angela lately. We've been necking, not actually kissing, just a neck on neck. It's just like rubbing slash nuzzling our necks together. It's hot, I'm not gonna lie to you, but it's a little weird. But you seem like a guy with answers. So how do I fast track this, get to first base? We cannot talk about this because someone might hear us. We use code names. Angela can stay the same, but we'll change Andy to Dwight. That's not different enough. Dwight? He's become Andy's go-to guy. I guess this is the ultimate uh, amount of ironic cruelty or something here, that uh, Andy has made a friend and he, he thinks that Dwight has all the answers. Why he thinks that, I have no idea. Well, I think subconsciously he realizes that <laughs> Dwight is interested in the relationship, but not for the reason that he thinks, right? Yeah, that could be. Um. <laughs> I know the snacking thing was a little weird, though. I mean, really weird. Just I mean, rubbing yeah, our necks together. The mental picture of, of Andy and Angela necking, it just <laughs> kind of creeped me out a little bit. Sitting there, uh, you know, rigid, rubbing their necks together. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Kevin, you and I had already talked about this, and, and a lot of people poo-pooed us. They said we were crazy. They said that we were uh, off the wall with our assessment here. But uh, I swear to God, they're doing it. They're going where we said. We're talking about Jim, that Jim 
plot line of Jim not having a direction, and it's coming back where we're getting more of that now in these last couple episodes here where, where Jim next to Pam is really starting to look like a loser almost. He's looking like um, a slacker, you know? He's not going anywhere. He's spinning his wheels. And uh, I, I definitely think that's going to be a major theme for this season. It certainly is, and especially in the next episode where you can see that Pam is is trying to improve herself and expand her horizons. And she's already grown so much, and her appearance has changed this season, whereas Jim is the same old, you know, same old hair, same old crazy looks, and <laughs> and he needs to step up with some leadership. Well, I actually think this episode emphasizes that more than uh, than Branch Wars does, simply because of the fact that uh, you know Pam is spends most of this episode. Um, her reaction when she knows that Dwight's playing this game is to be very sad for him. Mm-hmm. For one thing, her other, you know, she spends all this time doing the animation, you know, being doing something that's really positive that she wants to do, even if it's not going to, you know, get her somewhere, not going to be a big, big break. She's taking it very seriously. And I, well, this, this conversation really kind of plays it out and maybe we can read into this a little bit, but, uh, you know, maybe Jim is not quite the Jim that he wants to be. Okay. This is Dwight's second life. He's on it all the time. So much so that his little guy here has created his own world. It's called Second Second Life for those people who want to be removed even further from reality. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my God, he's really in pain. Who's that? Oh, it's just my avatar guy. Whatever. He looks a lot like you. Uh, How much time did you spend on that? Not much. It's just for tracking Dwight, so. Right. You're a sports writer in Philadelphia? Nice build, too. You have a guitar slung on your back. I did not know you played guitar. I... Why don't we go back to the animation? No, no, no. I want to see more of Philly Jim. I want Philly Jim. Ah, show me how this works. Oh, boy. Pam does want Philly Jim. I think that's going to be some source of tension, perhaps, in the season here. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that that going into Jim's underlying sense of uh, failure at his life? I think so. I mean, it's it's clear that he has greater aspirations, but he's not sure what to do with them. Uh, you know, I don't know. But I think we will see that as the theme of the season. I think you're right. Well, it's uh, interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, right now, she is just kind of very good-humored about the whole thing. You know, she's kind of ribbing him a little bit. But that's like in the two episodes, it's like the second scene there where Jim is very flummoxed. He doesn't know what to say. <laughs> where the, the two women are kind of picking at him. And he's mm-hmm. just really, really um, mumble mouth. He doesn't have anything to say. And that is the thing, though, there where he kind of goes up to her in that at the beginning of that clip, and you know she's busy working on the animation, and he wants to interrupt her to uh, to show her this Dwight thing, show her this game at first. And so I think he <laughs> sufficiently chastised that he goes wandering back, and, and he's not really being very sensitive to what she's doing, is he? Well, and that's the thing. You can read it that way, but then I think that he does. I think you can read it both ways because he... I'm going to play the clip here in a second, but on the one hand, he leaves, he takes off, but on the, on the other hand, then he does bring her breakfast and uh, and really is kind of proud about what she's doing. I hope you're not killing yourself on this because I'm sure it's good enough for Michael's ad that will probably be seen by no one. Maybe, but it's not good enough for me yet. Pam is staying late tonight to uh, achieve her dreams. Oh, pretty proud of her. 
Unfortunately, she was my right. You coming? I, uh... Hester, get off the pot! Good morning. Yeah, I'm sorry. I looked away for a second and Creed snatched your hash browns. Thank you. You're welcome. I worked until about 2.45 a.m., and then I had to decide if I wanted to spend the night with Michael editing in his office or drive home and probably fall asleep at the wheel and die in a fiery car wreck. I passed out on my keyboard trying to decide. Does he redeem himself there with those lines? I don't know if if Jim is being a jerk or not there. I mean, he sort of said, I mean, the way he said, I'm really proud of her. It almost sounded sarcastic in a way. <laughs> and it, I, clearly, the I'm sure it's good enough for Michael. It means he doesn't have a lot of value in what she's doing in terms of uh, self-worth, but she obviously does. So yeah. hard to say. Obviously, he does redeem himself at the end. Um, and, he, you know, the breakfast thing, is a, is a nice gesture for sure. I think that he's getting a little frustrated because he, like we said before, that he wants to get that automatic response of mocking Michael and, and the automatic response, just like things used to be, of messing with Dwight. And she doesn't want to go along with that now all the time. Like, he maybe expects her to. So I think that he's a little, maybe a little flustered. doesn't really know what to do with that or how to deal with that situation. But... I don't know. I think it's got to lead, like you know, we've been saying. I think that's got to lead to some soul searching there for uh, for Mr. Halpert. Well, the last scene then in this plot line here, um, again, Andy has more good news for Dwight. Andy, I can't hear this right no. now. No, 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 this is good. You know how we haven't really gotten anywhere that I want to get to physically yet. Well, last night that changed. We're making out. And she's not really kissing me back, but she closes her eyes and she's like, Oh, D. She calls you D. D for Andy. Oh, D. Oh, D. Oh, D. <laughs> Regardless of what you think of that scene, I mean, that gives us hope that uh, Angela is still pining away for uh, for Dwight. And I'm still, like you said, I, I was almost on the, on the fence with that, thinking that, you know, maybe it's for the best that they don't get back together. But, you know, who knows? I, I guess to leave that little th- little uh, beacon of hope out there so Dwight Dwight can be up for pranking next episode. <laughs> he can't be, uh, God, he was almost manic in, that, in, uh, in Branch Wars compared to his mopey self for the last five weeks. Well, a couple of deleted scenes from this episode, and I don't know if there's two that I missed or something, but I went back to the NBC site, and the only two deleted scenes I could find were labeled scene three and four. Hey, everybody, I just got off the phone with David Wallace, and he has given us a go-ahead to make the first ever Dunder Mifflin television commercial. Huh? Yeah. All right. I hear you. Heard you a little bit less that time. We'd already must be okay. Before. Okay, who could do music? How about Daryl? Actually, I'm a little concerned about having a black person do the music because that could create a positive stereotype that could then become uh, Celestine prophecy and keep the next Bon Jovi from ever picking up a piano. Michael is on a mission to prove that he's creative, which I think is odd because Michael actually might be the most creative person I've ever known. Every day, Michael says and thinks things that. No one has ever said or thought before. All right, let's start. All right. Not sure what I'm supposed to be doing, but you are my producer. You are a suit. I am the creative genius. You take care of all the boring stuff and let my mind just run free. Yep. 
Now, we have $85 and a Sam Goody gift certificate, nice. and we need to be done by 9 a.m. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Why don't you start by telling me what you got? We start on a single blank sheet of paper. Love it. And we widen to reveal ancient Rome. Mm, can't do that. Okay, we widen to reveal a spaceship blasting out of a woman's womb. Definitely can't do that. Man! You know what? Okay, Scott, why don't you take your head out of the clouds and come back down to planet Earth so we can make a commercial? Ah! I'm just doing my job, man. If you don't let me pursue my artistic vision, I'm going to walk! Good, fine. I've got one Andy Bernard that will direct this puppy for half your fee. No, no, Jim, Jim, don't, don't. What? No, I can what? do it. I can do it. What? I can do it good. I can do it good. Please, don't. Please, please forgive me another turn. Okay. Make a commercial. Do you want this open or closed? Closed. I don't know, that last half of the scene, I love that scene. I love that scene. It was so good. Jim taking charge. I will get one. Andy Bernard. Awesome. I He's love like, that. Wait. It was, it was funny. Yeah. There's another thing. Again, we kind of get this. These, some of these deleted scenes that are just much funnier than the actual show content. So I'm not sure what happened with that there. But yeah, that scene was definitely, definitely top of the line. It should have been in the episode somehow. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to Branch Wars and. Branch Wars, the directorial uh, reunion here of our cast and Joss Whedon, who delivered the also hilarious and heartfelt business school episode from season three. Like I said before, I got to see this early. I, I, I really got a lot of laughs out of this episode, the first part of the episode. It, it almost felt just almost, I don't know what to say about this, and I'm not sure, maybe I'm imagining things, but... Did this episode to you just really seem kind of almost unconnected from any of the real major plot lines that's developed so far in season four? Oh, I don't know. I, again, I think there's just some Jim, and certainly stuff for Jim in this episode that might factor in later in the season. And I think it serves as a nice bridge between the stuff from last season, the return of Karen that everyone's been waiting for, I think, for a long time. And she's got a good, juicy role here. So... You know, in some ways, it is a kind of a self-contained episode, hopefully. We're not going to get too many storylines coming out of this episode with, you know, Dwight's penis or something like that. But, um, you know, I think for Jim in particular, there could be stuff that could uh, play factor later in the season. Well, I just, I mean, I wonder. I'm, I'm wondering whether they, like, if they had to write this first or film this first to get... Uh, Rashida Jones to be able to do it, or if, if they just filmed it in the regular order with the other five episodes, because it does, to me, it, it does seem very, very disconnected from the main sort of themes of season four so far. It's very, it could almost fit anywhere, in fact, in, in season four, could have been the first episode, could have been, you know, wherever. There's not a lot of, nothing, no mention of uh, Dwayne and Angela, right. um, not really any kind of hint at any tension between Jim and Pam at all. So I don't know, no. it was very, it, it did sort of almost exist sort of in a little bit of a bubble. And it is very funny, but again, I don't know. Uh, I think someone on the blog page said it best. They said that they laughed the most of any episode this season, yet they sort of felt it was a little bit less than the sum of its parts at the end of the day. And uh, I, I might have to go along with that. I mean, it was pretty funny. And again, some of the deleted scenes I wish were in this episode because they're uh, actually pretty funny, and some of the deleted scenes I think are good that they were cut out. Um, 
there's a lot of there's actually a whole deleted scene where they show Michael and Dwight pinned against the wall with the copier machine. Yes. And I I think that might have been a good call to not put that in there just to have us imagine it, maybe that it was funnier in our mind. I think so too. Than uh, than what we would have seen there, but uh, but still. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but I really like this expanding Dunder Mifflin universe where we learn little bits about the other branches. And in the deleted scene there, they mention a bunch of the other branch offices in Nashua. The one in Akron is haunted. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, there's some good stuff there. And, and I like to, to see how these branches are different. And, we, you know, Scranton was different from Stanford last season, and now we're learning about Utica. So that, I think that's great. Well, let's. Uh, I guess let's go ahead and kick it off here with uh, the introduction of the big plot. Did you did you have any problem believing that Karen would become the branch manager here? No, not at all. I mean, if if Ryan could become the uh, the VP, I certainly think could, that Karen could be the uh, the regional manager. I am the regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Utica branch. Turns out it's a pretty easy gig when your boss isn't an idiot and your boyfriend's not in love with somebody else. Look, for the record. A certain Scranton salesman approached me, okay? Yes. Oh, good, good, Stanley. First victim, this is what I want you to do. Go out, come back in. We're going to hide. I want you to tell me if this looks like me, okay? I don't understand why sleeping at your desk is better than you not being Just here. Just go out and come back in. I got an offer from Utica for more money, and I'm going to take it. What? Yeah, that dummy thing really was not very funny, but... <laughs> I like the Karen's line, obviously, and uh, yep, Stanley, he's uh, he's exploring his options. Well, yeah, I guess so. They did they did point out though that it was Stanley's call. He called her to uh, to ask to see if he could get that offer. Because uh, it does. I, I guess Michael even brings it up later. You know, why are, are they trying to get Stanley? You know, why would they, anybody want Stanley? Uh, and that's kind of funny there. But you know what? The the beginning. The the whole thing with the I don't know the Ferris Bueller's Day Off reference and the little sleeping dummy, I don't know. I, I, when I first saw it, I thought that was it was pretty funny. I mean, it was totally nonsensical, totally out of left field. <laughs> but uh, I mean, obviously, it's something that that uh, Michael would think was a cool, great idea to have this fake dummy where uh, where he can use it to go hang out with Ryan and Daryl, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you, as you were saying earlier, Dwight was in sort of manic mode, you know, well, let's, let's play hooky and all that kind of thing. It was definitely you know, out of place given the story arc this right. season. Right, and, and also the thing about I'm going to be hanging out with, with Ryan, I wonder if that, because that seems really weird given the context of the last few episodes, I guess, the way that he's come to sort of hate <laughs> hate mm-hmm. Ryan pretty well. So I wonder, you know, like I said, when, what the shooting order of these scripts were exactly um like always he's of course going to take this personal this isn't it's not just about the money as stanley tells him many times uh it's something wrong it's, he's leaving the family and uh michael just feels that there's going to be a hole in the office this is a horrible thing clearly karen is trying to get back at us because jim dumped her oh i don't think that's that okay well smarty pants then why why is she trying to take Stanley from us? I think it's because of my sales record. That could not possibly be it. Oh. You cannot take the hilarious black guy from the office. Stanley is part of what makes this branch so extraordinary. The bluesy wisdom, the sassy remarks, the crossword puzzles, the smile, those big watery red eyes. I don't know how George Bush did it when Colin Powell left. And 
if Utica thinks that they are going to poach Stan Lee, they have another thing coming. Yeah, he is like an urban... Uh, <laughs> he has that urban vibe there in the office, too, with his folksy, bluesy wisdom. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was a great, great little setup there. Michael... Uh, you know, he doesn't want Stanley to leave because he's going to miss one of his one of his stock cast of characters there in the office. Exactly, it's what makes the, the what makes the branch so extraordinary, right? <laughs> That's the perfect description. Well, I just I love that line. I thought that was hilarious, where he says, you know, no, it can't possibly be your sales figures. I, you know, he does that. He says lines like that a lot with um, Toby, yeah, but I laugh every time he he lays a line like that. You know, like the shut up lines or, you know, I, I, that made me laugh. <laughs> I know, like you said, we've never seen Stanley as a sales dynamo, so that does bring up the question why <laughs> why somebody would want to poach him, I guess. Um, but that's neither here nor there. And uh, Michael, of course, won't let, you know, won't take this lying down. So he he's going to call old uh, Philip Hellerus on the phone and, uh, and kind of talk about this and uh, to understand what's going on. And Michael, in an attempt to... Uh, <laughs> In an attempt to bluff his way through, offers the uh, to make the extreme sacrifice. Look, this is very hard for me, but I'm going to give you my best man. You may have Toby. Toby's not a salesperson. You can train him. He's very, very smart and funny and charming. You know, I can't do it. Toby is the worst. That that was a bluff. <laughs> This is probably the best line in the episode. I know. I know people. Think, Toby is the worst. I know people say that we should lay off Flenderson, but uh, <laughs> he can't even go through with it. He can't even. He doesn't hate her enough to go through with the fake bluff. To try to get rid of Toby. Well, and of um, course, as we'll learn later, you know, this does sort of uh, a little bit of foreshadowing here for a later plot device, but. Uh, you know, I, I thought that was just hilarious. That whole scene, and um, he's leaving. Uh, he's leaving his family. No, not his real family. His his office family. So again, Michael, and thinking that everyone is one big happy family in the branch. So uh, good stuff there. I like that. All right. Well, this now, Michael vows that if uh, if Karen's going to steal one of his salespeople, that he's going to steal one of hers. And uh, Kevin. Do you like magic? I love magic. <laughs> uh, well, Michael doesn't quite get the response that I think he was hoping for from uh, his call to Utica. I have Ben Nugent on the line. He is the top salesman in Utica. Hi, Ben. Michael Scott. Aren't you the guy that hit the woman with your car? <laughs> get out. Uh, yeah, I also saved her life, but I guess that's not as grabby. And everyone says Grand Branch is worse than Camden. Didn't everyone from Stanford quit, like, immediately? No, I fired them, and you're next. So what do you say? Seriously? What is that guy talking about? Scranton is not lame. Scranton is the cool fun bridge. We're like Animal House. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I love that line there. So <laughs> I fired them, and you're next. <laughs> oh, do you want a job? Seriously? <laughs> So, of course, it doesn't quite work out as Michael, like you said, as, as he had planned. And this has put him kind of in a little bit of a funk because, you know, now uh, people are talking. People are talking bad about the Scranton branch. Uh, they're talking crap, and he's not going to take this line down. So he gets Jim. He goes and gets Jim fired up, claims that uh, they need to kickstart their reputation by landing a huge sale. 
and uh, and the, he, he and Dwight and Jim are off to go land that sail. But again, uh, things don't work out quite the way that Jim had hoped. We just passed the exit what? for Parker. What? We did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Yes! Look at his face! Look at his face! <laughs> What are we doing? Dripping. What are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, well, gee, Jim, I don't know. I guess there's no sales call we today. We are going on a panty raid to Utica. Is what we're doing. We're going to Utica? Uh-huh. <laughs> not going to Utica. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, buckle up, Jim. No. We are going to make Karen wish that she had never been dumped by you. Utica. 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 Come on, everybody. Utica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that's the, the first act break there. That's up to right where I saw at the convention. Jim, obviously the last place that he wants to go, and I think Krasinski does some good physical acting in this uh, episode here. Is, I mean, you can just feel how uncomfortable and uh, and horrible of a situation that he's in right there. Uh, you know, this is the last place that he wants to be. Uh, unfortunately, Michael doesn't quite see it that way. He thinks it's a perfect opportunity to uh, have Jim along to really rub it in Karen's face and uh, and get his revenge. <laughs> I don't know, I guess the, the, the point there where uh, Dwight actually then throws Jim's cell phone out the window when they think he's calling to Karen, and uh, <laughs> uh, they, of course, then feel immediately bad about it afterwards once they realize that uh, Jim's brother's baby pictures are on the phone. There, so <laughs> they have to stop and find find his uh, his phone on the side of the highway. And uh, they do, of course, and Michael and Dwight, though, explain to him what he's going to miss if he does catch a cab back to Scranton. Wait, what are you planning on doing? Do you really want to know? Oh, God. Follow me. Come here. Here's what we brought. We brought uniforms from the warehouse. I brought silly string. Dwight brought gasoline and chunks of rubber to make stink bombs. Or real bombs. No, no, not real bombs. Yeah, come on, it'll be so badass. Uh, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. So, the deal was, Dwight doesn't blow anything up, and I wear a costume. And a mustache. Man, that, again, I don't know what this is, but we've just got manic Dwight this whole episode. <laughs> now he's making Molotov cocktails in Michael's trunk, uh chunks of rubber and he's like he's convincing him you know michael's at first michael's like well no we're not going to make real bombs like well okay maybe <laughs> yeah. I, you know jim of course came up with the bad lib there with the the baby pictures to be able to retrieve his phone and of course they entice him with the ultimate prank and he quite can't can't quite resist that he's playing with fire because he knows he might run into karen but he, he just can't help himself well, see, that's the thing, though. That's, I mean, this isn't... Jim gets kind of unfairly chastised in this episode for going along with the prank. And, I mean, obviously he's an only he's only there because he doesn't want these guys to kill themselves, basically, or hurt anyone else, um, you know. Yes, but, but he stayed in the car. He If he really wanted to stop things, he would have put an end to it. And, you know, he could have walked away from the whole situation and we, he would have washed his hands of it. But he couldn't quite do that. And, of course, it's a plot device and all that. But, um, you know, there's points where Jim could have done something different and it would have changed the outcome, and he didn't. So he does deserve at least some of that blame. Well, but come on, man. What is he going to do? I mean, Michael and Dwight are going to set off bombs in the, in the Utica branch. He's got to go along and make sure that they don't do anything stupid. 
hey, you know what? If 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 I if I'm the second in command in Michael Scott's office, and if I've got at least any ambition, this is the a match made in heaven because this is the way for Michael Scott to get his job fired, right? <laughs> By bombing another office. Oh well, come on. And Dwight would be gone too. It'd be Jim's perfect world, right? Oh, he's too nice of a guy to see that happen. I guess. Uh, in any case, well, it. Uh... <laughs> But he has, you know, that's the thing. Is he, he says, "I don't want to further piss off my ex-girlfriend." So he already knows he's, you know, going to go into a, you know, the lion's den once he gets there. Well, I mean, he's already pissed her off, and that's the obvious thing. I mean, he left her in New York, <laughs> broke up with her immediately, and they've been on horrible terms ever since. And he, of course, doesn't want to see her, doesn't want to talk to her, doesn't want to come in any kind of contact with her whatsoever and uh, I mean it makes perfect sense why he doesn't want to go in he doesn't want to talk to her he doesn't want to see her um, he's just hoping that his influence would be enough I guess to keep him out of any serious trouble and you know this uh, I just wanted to play this I'm not really sure what I think about this whether I think this is comic genius or just way too ridiculous but uh, <laughs> as uh, Dwight and Jim and Michael resume their drive in their warehouse uniforms in their fake mustaches Michael hears a little something in the background. What is that? That sound. The air conditioning leaking or something? That doesn't make sense. Couldn't be. What is that? Dwight, are you peeing? I'm peeing in this empty can. Oh, oh my God, man. What? That is disgusting, Dwight. Well, you said we couldn't make any more stops. I really had to go. Oh, Michael, walk ah, on the road. Hey, you're I making me so crazy. A little over the top there with the penis on the lid being cut. I don't know, but I mean that whole scene was so ridiculous. I mean, it's one of those. It's exactly in a nutshell this episode. I mean, it's it's hilariously funny. The mustaches are funny as much exactly. as I think it's ridiculous. It, to see them in the mustaches really is funny, and that scene built very well to the uh, punchline there at the end with his penis. <laughs> and uh, you know, again, it, I was cracking up. But I have to throw this out there: who has not peed in a can? in a car. I mean, come on. The other thing I liked about that peeing line was that they cut right into the other storyline we'll talk about later with Oscar imagining a life where all you do is summer in the Italian countryside. I thought that was a really nice <laughs> transition. Yeah. Very funny. A uh, little bit of a juxtaposition there between the uh, peeing in a can and, and living it up in the Riviera, definitely. Uh, once they get to the Utica branch, then Dwight and Michael commando style head off into the office to uh, to do some damage and uh, Jim is left behind in the car as the command post lookout guy and uh, for some reason Dwight has this really weird fetish uh, for eyes in this episode Dwight, yeah, you and I are going to sneak inside and we'll pretend that we are warehouse workers and we will silly string the bejesus out of the place. And if we have to defend ourselves I will stab the security guard in the eye with the jumbo chalk. No no, you won't do that Nope. Then I'll grind up the jumbo chalk and blow it in his eyes. Dwight, nothing with the eyes, please. Okay, Jim. I can see the security guard's eyes. No, no, don't do anything to them. I have to do something to his eyes. The eyes are the groin of the head. I know a lot of people thought that was a classic Dwight line to enter the pantheon there, so... Had to I would agree. <laughs> I don't know what the preoccupation was with that. The jumbo chalk. I'll stick this piece of jumbo chalk in his eye. It's true. He's done a lot of thinking about how to defend himself and uh, offensively 
create havoc with his opponents. Well, I suppose that's uh, that's what the purple belt does for you, man. It makes you turns you into a killer, always looking for your opportunity to stab somebody in the head groin. <laughs> Once they get in there, though, it's, again, things don't work out quite the way they planned. And the funniest part of this line, I think, is right at the tail end here. All right, great, Scott. If you found that choking hazard poster, just head on home. We got something far better. They're industrial copier. We're wheeling it down the hall. Get the car ready. No, that is a terrible idea. Don't do this. Oh, oh, my hip bone. We're wedged between the copier and the railing. Ow, God. Oh, my God, Karen is back. another in there it's uh some great stuff it just and the, I, the camera work in that scene too with the cameraman going up and down and spotting karen looking at the car at the right moment yeah and jim flawless jim actually starts yelling at the cameraman he's like you know telling him to get down or he's like come on he's, he's pleading with the guy to like get down in the seat yeah. uh, so there we go a little bit a little more interaction with the camera person like we talked about in the other weeks but Oh, man, definitely a lot of good lines in that section. And uh, and like we said before, uh, in the deleted scene, then they actually show them there, crushed behind the copier in the hallway. Uh, in the episode, though, it cuts directly to them in uh, Karen's office, and uh, Dwight and Michael are not apologetic in the least. Let me ask you, did you accomplish what you wanted? Listen, lady, you can expect these kind of repercussions as long as you keep trying to poach our people. I'm taking Stanley. And we will burn Utica to the ground. Granted, maybe this was not the best idea, but at least we care enough about our employees that we are willing to fight for them. And if you so much as harm a hair on Stanley's head, we will burn Utica to the ground. This is, I think, this gets into the heart of the episode, sort of, if you will, Michael's, like always, his redemptive moment here is his caring so much for his employees, you know, if you harm a hair on his head. But if you think about it, right, if he really cared about Stanley, wouldn't he want Stanley to make more money, even if he couldn't pay him? I mean, okay, we don't have budget, but I wish you well so uh, you can make more money in a different branch. At least it's still within the same company, right? Well, that was his, that was the reaction of all the other co-workers in the office when he announces it, in fact, but... No, that's to him, the way I mean, Michael Scott thinks about no, it. To, to him, that's like, you know, it's a family. You don't, what's well, like, I don't know, a line from like the Godfather or whatever, right? You know, you don't, uh, don't go against the family. Stanley to leave, that's a betrayal. It's a betrayal of uh, of their trust and their, their familial love. And, and I, like, I like how Dwight kept a mustache on for that scene. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, I don't know. That wasn't really explained. I don't know. what he, If he was still holding up his the disguise, maybe trying to <laughs> have plausible deniability that that wasn't him. I don't know. <laughs> But um, and you know that Michael and and, uh, and Dwight leave and that's fine. But then Karen basically just rips Jim a new one here before he leaves. Jim, hang on a second. So you're still doing this kind of stuff, huh? Yeah, trying to quit though. I mean, it's just that <clears throat> you know Pam and I are still dating, so things are going really well. So I didn't want to see 
you. Oh, things are going really well. I want to hear more about how happy you are with Pam. Can you tell me more about that? Thank you so much for coming to Utica and breaking my copier and telling me how well things are going in your relationship. Really, thank you. All right. You are welcome. I'm going to go because of um, traffic. Traffic, yeah. Go. Oh, def go. Go because of traffic. Definitely beat, beat the traffic. Mm-hmm. Helper cannot get a break these last two episodes. Like I said, another another scene like with Philly Jim where he's just dumbfounded. He has nothing to say. He's getting he's getting destroyed here by uh, by this woman. Yeah, and I mean, I guess he's trying not to be confrontational, but obviously this isn't really his fault that he's there. But he could have, with of anybody, he could have told, look, these guys dragged me here under false pretenses. Surely you believe me if I tell you that. But uh, I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to say as, as less that he can, uh, just to get out of there intact. But yeah, yeah he didn't really deserve the uh, throwdown there. Well, I mean, he did in, in a way. I mean, because he deserved. I guess for the whole breakup and the way that everything went down like that. But still, I mean... I guess if he hadn't mentioned Pam and how well it was going, <laughs> maybe he would have uh, not set that bomb off, right? Yeah, again, not a good not a good move there, guys. So that's the end of that. I don't know if we're going to see Karen return, uh, depending on her show, you know, if her uh, Fox mid-season show airs or is successful or not. You know, I, I think that they changed the name of that show now or something to Unhitched. Had some, yeah, when is that show some other on? name? I, well, I mean, it was supposed to come on mid-season, so maybe January or something. But you know, again with the strike going on, who knows? Well, Michael then dejectedly returns to the office, and he's lost. He's done again. He's done everything he can. He's fought the good fight, and uh, just like with branch closing, sort of, you know, things have a way of kind of working out to his uh, advantage, and. Whatever you want to say about Michael, whether he's an idiot or whatever, I think they really went out of their way to try to show that he really cares. Pam, I'm going to need some help writing a want ad. Wanted, middle-aged black man with sass. Big butt, bigger heart. Michael, a word? Of course. I changed my mind. I want to keep this job. Really? I wasn't really planning on leaving. All I wanted was a raise. How on earth did Michael call my bluff? Is he some sort of secret genius? <laughs> Sometimes I see crazy things. <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's just it's it's just works out for Michael, like you said, and and I I like that Michael wins in the end in, in episodes like this, and uh, Stanley tried to pull a fast one, and Michael called his bluff. Yeah, and he wins in the end, but sometimes it's not really that satisfying because he ultimately did nothing to get himself to deserve to win. <laughs> he just sort of wins by default. <laughs> Again, yeah. like with branch closing, where he, he, he just by not doing something or just by not... Uh, by not quitting and then taking a position at Staples, exactly. he wins. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that, I just want to point out, though, that it's kind of a funny coincidence that that, that ad there, it, that's exactly the same ad that I posted when Ian left the show. So... <laughs> Well, everything's warm and fuzzy. The family's reunited again, and all is well with the world. Now, let's go over to the other plot line in this crazy episode, the Finer Things Club. Now, apparently, you, you told me that this is actually a real thing. It is. It's uh, People are having these clubs all over the place. It's like a new hip thing to do. And so I think, once again, the producers are you know kind of making a social commentary on uh, current popular culture. Their finger on the pulse, my friend. And, of course, who would want to improve themselves by learning about the finer things? 
Uh, one can Beasley, of course. <laughs> Fancy new Beasley loves the finer things. Oscar, Toby, and I are founding members of the Finer Things Club. We meet once a month to discuss books and art, celebrate culture in a very civilized way. There is no paper, no plastic, and no work talk allowed. It's very exclusive. Besides having sex with men, I would say the Finer Things Club is the gayest thing about me. So tell me again why I can't be a part of your club? Because some people think that you monopolize the conversation by trying to be funny. Oscar? Some people. Do you think, I mean, is Flenderson's inclusion in this club, is he still, is this still sort of his desperate attempt to be close to Pam? No, I think it's not related. I, I think that this was something that Pam and Oscar put together, and they needed a third person, and they went to Toby for it. He, of course, he's happy to be there with Pam, obviously. But uh, I don't think this is his. I don't think he instigated this Finer Things Club. I'm sure it was a, an Oscar and Pam situation. And of course, an, yet another classic one-liner from Oscar there. <laughs> Besides having sex with men, this is the gayest thing I do. I mean, yeah, that got a great. huge. That got a huge laugh at the convention. I I wonder because Toby. You know, I'm not saying necessarily that he masterminded this whole thing, but. I think that his inclusion, his his participation in the club seems to really hinge on this kind of pathetic being close to Pam sort of thing. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm coming out of it from the wrong way, but after last season and and what we saw kind of some of this season as well, I mean he makes like the biggest stink about not wanting anybody else to join the club, you know. Well, exactly. Now that he's in the club, he doesn't he doesn't want to water down Pam's attention. So, but I'm I'm sure she asked him, "Do you want to do this with us?" And of course he said. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, sure. And and that's the thing, you know, he <laughs> like I said before, his bow tie moment, that was another hilarious silent visual gag when <laughs> Michael just stands there and stares at him. Lots of funny stuff too with Phyllis and Kevin in this uh <laughs> part. I don't know if you have the clip there, but um you know, Phyllis is just is so clueless about, you know, other people sometimes. I think she really is perhaps the most inconsiderate person in the office. Well, let's talk about that because somebody else brought that up on the blog page. Is that isn't it kind of dickish for these three people to um, monopolize the break room and uh, and get mad at people coming in there and using the vending machines? I suppose, although it is only one day a month. Of all the other things that people in that office could do, I mean, I think <laughs> you're right. It perhaps would be better if they did it in a you know neutral location or something like that, especially if they're ex being so exclusive, as we'll hear shortly. But um, I don't know. I guess it's okay. People do these things all the time at, in you know companies. Well, I almost felt I, I almost felt kind of bad for some of the other people in the in the in the office. You know, they're they're obviously very snobbish with their membership. So, and we find this out, of course, when our dear friend Andy Bernard tries his best to uh, gain access. Baron, what are you doing? Just came to discuss my favorite E.M. Forster novel. Oh, I'm sorry, Andy, but this is a closed club. The Finer Things Club is the most exclusive club in this office. Naturally, it's where I need to be. The party planning committee is my backup, and Kevin's band is my safety. Fine. I'll just sit here in the common area and read my book, which just happens to be the very same book you're reading. All right, just... No, you're not in the finer things club. Why can't I be in the club? Flenderson is such a weasel, man. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm just fine as long as you know you're not in the club. <laughs> I mean, it's too bad. You know, Andy is Andy's character has kind of gone up and down this season. He's been like a, a booster for Dwight. He's charmed Angela with his singing. 
but then he's also been like, you know, I'm dying of horny sickness and, and some other inappropriate remarks here. But, you know, I, I feel kind of bad for him. He seems like he definitely wants to be in the, <laughs> in the club and maybe for the wrong reasons, I guess, you know. Maybe. This, this is like the skull and bones uh, society in the office there, and Andy wants in. <laughs> you know, that line where he said, you know, naturally this is where I need to be, I mean, that is classic Andy. It <laughs> made me just laugh and I think that this tells you more about that character than anything you need to know. As you were mentioning, this whole exclusive aspect, of course, Andy is the perfect person to illustrate that here, um, the way people get these fighter things, clubs going, right? Well, but he's so, he's, he actually, you know, at least he's earnest. He had his book. He wanted to talk about it. Yeah, he, he wanted to participate. Only his recommendation letter from Rick Santorum would have gotten him through. Uh, in any case, well, you know, and this is the thing that because it's so snobby and it's so closed off uh, that only these three people are allowed to be in it. The last scene of the episode, really, we have Jim coming back to the office, being dejected after his humiliation, and uh, and Pam offers up the club, much to the chagrin of Andy and uh, Toby, I'm sure. Hey. How humiliating. Would it help you to return to another age? A time of refinement. Are you inviting me to the Finer Things Club? Oh, come on! Those ashes. Top of the morning to it. Frankie's prose is finer than a pasta gold. Say aye. Okay. Did you get it out of your system? No, I mean, I really liked it. That was a fun read. Well, what's fun about it for you? Is it the death of the twins? No, that wasn't fun. Did you even read it? Of course I read it. How does it end? Who's the main character? Angela. Nope. Ashes. <laughs> I mean, again, it's sort of part of why I thought this is so ridiculous is just the fact that they show these clips of them with their beret and like they're talking about Angela's ashes, so they're all sitting in the back room with these little driving caps on, and <laughs> Pam's got her little babushka around her head, and I don't know. Do you buy it? Mean, do you? I, I don't know. Buy it. Jim is well, such a it, dick that he doesn't even read the book. He just tries to bluff his way through. Well, there's lots of things going on in the clip you just played. First of all, why is Andy sitting at his old desk for the reaction shot for Come On? I guess he's trying to you know, hit, out, hit on Angela or something, but that was kind of weird. But I totally buy that they would dress up like that. The, the, <laughs> one of the montage clips earlier, they were sitting in beret, so it perfectly fits in. And it definitely fits in that Jim would have not read the book and tried to sort of skate by on his charisma, and Oscar and Toby called him on it. So even after the fact that Pam said that no one wants you in the club because you just, you know, use humor to get attention and all that stuff, he would still not read the book and still BS his way through it. That's the way Jim operates. I mean, wouldn't he try to impress Pam? Wouldn't he at least do that for her sake? Oh, I don't know. Maybe he's spending too much time in Second Life. I don't know. Maybe he didn't have enough time. Oh, Christ almighty. Uh, But I don't think he'll be invited back to the Fighter Things Club. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty funny. And as someone who has read Angel's Ashes, i got to say, that was about the worst bluff your way through the book that I've ever heard in my life. Well, I I actually like the fact that he did not get into the Fighter Things Club. I think that actually will be good for Jim to, you know, have failed that mission and maybe it was a growing point or at least help him define who he is and not try to pretend he's something else. Ah, well, it's a, it's a, as he said, it's because pearls is like gold, I tell you. <laughs> All right, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, let's see, listen to the deleted scenes. And again, we have some deleted scenes in here that deserve to be deleted. 
And uh, the stuff with Andy, I think, was pretty funny, and it really brings up a big ethical question that I want to get your take on. And let me just add that as a member of the Finer Things Club, I would bring a strong financial contribution to any discretionary funds that we may have. Finally, here's a recommendation from former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum. Okay, that's enough. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks, Andy. He's going to ruin everything. Oh, my God. His letter of recommendation from Rick Santorum is three $50 bills. Wow. Now we can afford hardcover books. I like it just us three. I don't want it to change. I love the Fire Things Club. My ex-wife used to have a book club, and I would read their book and sometimes listen from the kitchen. The Finer Things Club was not sanctioned by the party planning committee. Renegade clubs are dangerous. I squashed the Weight Loss Buddies support group. They didn't need to gather. It was just gross. I don't know why I'm not in the Finer Arts Club. Bullcrap. You clean it up. Dear Andrew Bernard, after carefully examining your application to the Finer Things Club, we are unable to offer you a position at this place in time. We would, however, like to place you on a list in case an opportunity arises when your inclusion could be tolerated. Your position as an ongoing financial patron, however, is yours to cherish. Sincerely, the Finer Things Club. Yes! I got waitlisted. I got into Cornell off the waitlist. A lot of people were like, oh, you just got into Cornell because your dad donated a building. No, okay? I got into Cornell because I'm smart. I'm smart enough to have a dad who donates buildings to things. Utica is Snoozeville. Um, Albany are the Prepsters. Nashua, no parking. Um, Akron is haunted. Camden is in a basement. Yonkers has the two hot girls. And here in Scranton, we are the cool guys. Woo! Shotgun! Oh, you're driving, right? Yes, I am, but I want shotgun for you. Mm, I prefer sitting back. I wanted to sit next no, to you. Dwight, Dwight, Jim is sitting next to me. You're going to sit in the back left where I don't have to see your ugly moon gob. Okay, that is so mean. You know what? I'm not going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dwight, you're handsome. You're a very handsome man. Get in the car. So there was no sales call? No. Uh, turns out it was just a really bad idea involving fire. But I think I fixed it. Wait, you're going along with this now? I have to. Pam, if I'm not there, someone's going to go to jail or die. Right. And you wouldn't be able to talk to Karen. Well, I promise you that has nothing to do with it. A little bit. Well, yeah, I don't want to see her get physically harmed, that's for sure. Because you love her? Because you love her very much? All right, I'm going to go now. Okay, have fun with your girlfriend. Okay, I will. I'm kidding around. We joke about that stuff all the time. I'm not really the jealous type, so I don't care if Jim sees Karen. I care a little. They sprayed me in the eye. Can you help me please? I'm being crushed. Would it have killed you to spend the afternoon making love to her in a motel room? Like I begged you to? Pam would have understood. Heck, Pam would have done it. Pam is down for anything. You embarrassed me. You embarrassed us. Yeah. We should have brought Andy. I cut a chunk out of my penis for nothing. Well, how did they get that impression that Pam is down for anything? I don't know where oh, that comes from. He probably just was trying to make Jim feel bad. Well, I, I, I want to go back to the beginning because, first of all, Andy, I thought, 
I thought he told us in the other episode that he got into Cornell off the wait list by singing his reasons for why he should be in Cornell. Now it's all of a sudden that his dad donates buildings. What is the truth? I'm sure his dad doesn't build the building. <laughs> I mean, you build buildings and you get your son into the school. That's kind of how it works. Oh, come on. Here comes trouble for the win. Um, I, I, see, that's one of the things. Like, it was, it was, again, it was funny, but it, like... How dickish is that that they say, um, you're not allowed at this time, if, however, we do find your occlusion acceptable or tolerable, tolerable. we will let you in. And, but then they say, your, your ongoing, uh, what, ongoing patronage is your, yours to cherish. Yes. They just, like, so they steal kept, his money. They kept the money. They steal his money and then tell him no, and he's so psyched. Well, I'm sure Oscar was, you know, being the accountant, he wants that money to afford those hardcover books he cherishes. And, oh, you know, you got that whiny Flenderson there, you know, oh, he'll ruin everything. Yeah, sad sack life about how he used to sit in the kitchen with his wife. Oh, my goodness. He couldn't even participate in his own wife's book club. Well, maybe she didn't let him. Maybe that was part of their problems. <laughs> Maybe, I wouldn't she, have let him. maybe she excluded him as he is excluding Andy from the group. So, there you go. Maybe it's psychological revenge or something. Who knows? Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, damn it, this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, well, uh, Steve Carell's uh, Dan in Real Life opened last weekend here. Uh, his first starring performance after the critical and financial bomb that is Evan Almighty. Currently sitting at 64% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So, Kevin, a uh, little mini review here of Dan in Real Life for the listeners. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Steve Carell plays a widower with three teenage daughters and goes to a family reunion. Uh, he meets a woman in a bookstore and sort of falls head over heels for her. He goes back to the reunion and finds out that she is his brother's girlfriend, and thus hilarity ensues. You know, this is obviously a mix of humor and drama, heartwarming tale of uh, redemption. Uh, will he decide to get over his loss of his wife and the grief and all that and, you know, dealing with these crazy daughters and all that. And, you know, this is a really, really good movie. Very heartwarming. It makes you feel good at the the end. And there's some twists and turns that are fairly reasonably uh, well done. And Carell is outstanding in this movie. He's not your Michael Scott clueless dolt. It's more like the 40-year-old virgin, but with, you know, a little bit more worldly experience. And he's excellent in the movie. And Juliet Binoche, who I normally don't like, is really good as well. Uh, Dane Cook toned down in this role. Uh, <laughs> lots of good stuff in this stuff in this movie, and lots of good musical um, aspects as well. So, really good movie. Uh, four out of five stars for sure. All right, well, I have to check that out one of these days before it uh, disappears. This last week, TVGuide.com, uh, Oz Yellow's report said that NBC is supposedly developing another comedy show which is going to be spun off from an episode of The Office. Details are scarce, but uh, Kevin, I just uncovered this today and maybe I'm full of crap, but um, an article on Advertising Age, adage.com, is reporting that Ben Silverman and NBC are developing a TV version of Matt Beaumont's comic advertising novel, E, 
as a summer series. Is there any connection? Not sure, but this definitely seems like it could fit in the world of Dunder Mifflin. So I'm going to go out on the limb and say that this might be the series that they're talking about as being a possible spinoff from The Office. The the book apparently is set in an advertising agency with uh, wacky office staff and a lot of backstabbing and other kinds of crazy things that go on. Uh, they're talking about developing this series here for a summer six-episode tryout period. So I don't know. I, I, if Anything that I've heard that could be spun off from The Office, that's the closest thing I've seen so far. Yeah, it's certainly, from a connecting the dots standpoint, it certainly seems very plausible. You know, there's a lot of concern for people about the spinoff, and they were saying, oh, spinoffs never work, uh, it would be terrible. And, of course, what have they always said about British remakes, right? And here we are with The Office, it's great. So I'm at least optimistic about a spinoff. I think that they said that they wouldn't use any of the characters from the existing show. Um, you know, so it's not like we're going to see Stanley or Phyllis in this new series or something like that. So I, I'm optimistic, and I think that this advertising thing could be kind of a different twist, and we'll have to see. Well, I, I'm one of those people that was negative about this, and I'll go into my reasoning as far as why. I mean, aside from the fact that, yeah, most spinoff shows don't work, it's just simply the fact that, okay you're going to have an episode where you kind of slam force these characters onto the show who are only there to be spun off and they're not taking any of the main cast members. So again, then what's, what's the point? What's the purpose of the office connection? If it really isn't going to make any difference. I mean, if it makes absolutely no difference that these two shows are connected, uh, why force a connection other than, I guess, just as a marketing tool? Well, that's it. That's the marketing. And, you know, <laughs> right. CSI Miami is super popular. CSI New York has done very well. All those Law & Order spinoffs, they know a franchise, and it's easy to sell a franchise. And obviously the spinoff show is going to, you know, the execution, the casting. Uh, they put somebody like Will Arnett as the boss. He could be, you know, very well uh, done, and he could be charismatic in a different kind of evil boss kind of way. So, you know, we'll have to see. All right, so writer's strike update. There's no official words yet as when, but writers did vote this past week to go officially on strike. Rumors point to Monday, November 5th, as the date that the strike might begin, and we'll know for sure by the time you listen to this podcast. Check Variety.com or the show blog page for more information. Yeah, it looks like, uh, like I said, they voted on Friday to go on strike. How long we'll have, I'm not sure. The, the biggest impact that we're going to see is in the daily talk shows. So Letterman, Leno, Conan, that's going to show up right away because those shows are produced on a daily basis. The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, I don't know how those shows are going to stay on the air. Um, they might have to go into reruns, especially when they're you know, such a topical show like, uh, like The Daily Show. They're going to have some troubles. The Office and, and all of the other script shows, we're probably going to be okay until Christmas, at least, I would guess. Uh, after that point, then, it's going, to just, it's going to depend on how long this lasts. And if they, if they drag it out a month or two months or three months, you know, then that's nine, ten episodes off the season that we're going to not see. All right, well, a uh, quick Dunder Mifflin Infinity update. Uh, the task this week was for Twitch gamers, so rack up points in copier caper as you try to guide Michael and Dwight out of the Utica branch with the industrial copier. Highest score will win the swag this time. So instead of all these Photoshopping and writing tasks and video tasks, they wanted to go for one that uh, anybody could play and hopefully win this week. So head on over there and give it a shot. You can practice as many times as you want, but 
you only get one try at the uh, the ranked match. So good luck, folks. Now, Kevin, um, did you say that you were messing around with uh, NBC's new Hulu.com webpage? Well, yeah, it just came out in beta this week, and they were accepting uh, invitations. And so you sign up, and then they'll say, oh, we'll send you our our code that you can get in at some point in the future. Well, they still haven't sent me my code, but I did see an episode of The Office uh, from Hulu.com embedded on somebody else's web page, and uh, that's pretty cool. So you can embed the show like on the That's What She Said website or something like that eventually. That would be pretty interesting. And the video quality was quite good, so uh, it's been getting pretty good reviews, so we'll have to see. But initial reports that Hulu.com might not be bad. Well, I just want to throw this out there that uh, anybody that's a fan of the iPod that was hoping that these shows are going to come back on iTunes, I'm going to have to say right now, I mean, never say never, but um, NBC, <laughs> you know, NBC's uh, who's guy in charge of programming, uh, Zucker, came out this last yes. week with some very inflammatory comments, again, against Apple and against yeah, they've, iTunes. They've, so. they've ruined the pricing of music. Yeah, ruined it by bringing it down to a actually a reasonable price. Yeah, so he, that's a great attitude he's showing. He came out and really spouted a lot of invective for Apple, so I, like, I'm saying that, you know, again, never say never, but I wouldn't count on that ever coming, <laughs> coming, up ba- coming back to iTunes anytime soon. All right, well... Uh, remember, as always, that's what she said. Mugs and T-shirts available at the Cafe Press store. Hit cafepress.com slash TWSS podcast. Uh, no cast TV appearances this upcoming week. The next new episode. Dude, when are they going to give us a break now? This has been seven episodes in a row with no, no interruption here. Uh, next new episode, Survivor Man, airing on November 8th, 2007. Into the Woods. This is the special Green Week episode, by the way. Uh, after Ryan excludes Michael from a corporate wilderness retreat, Michael heads into the woods for his own survival adventure with nothing but the suit on his back. Back at work, Jim tries to revolutionize the office birthday party. So, man, uh, Michael Scott is no Bear grill, so I have no idea what the hell is going to happen to him. A lot of crazy Blair Witch maybe crying into the camera kind of stuff. <laughs> Let's see if Jim can step up in his leadership abilities this week. <laughs> yeah, to revolutionize the birthday party. <laughs> There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, just a few quick comments here uh, from the blog page. Uh, Cindy posted regarding local ads. She said, uh, it seems like they're trying to do something every episode so that people playing DMI can have something to do as well. It just seems kind of backwards and a little forced. When Michael announced they were filming a commercial, I knew that we were going to be doing that as a task for Dunder Mifflin Infinity. And I, I had some people make comments about that. I actually talked to the woman in charge of the Dunder Mifflin Infinity website at the office convention and asked her that same very question. And what she said is it's just the opposite, in fact, that she had met with the writers over the summer to get ideas. So she looked at the episodes and then tried to figure out what tasks they could kind of pull out of the episodes. So um, they're not writing the show based on the Dunder Mifflin Infinity web game. So rest. No, but, but either way, that means that this, 
gender myth and infinity is still kind of very derivative and this the task this week about the copier i don't know i just kind of feel like it should kind of be its own thing they're they're trying to tie it into the show and i guess that's the decision that they made that they want to tie it in very closely to get people to feel like they're involved in in the branch for that particular week so i don't blame them um a lot of the it's it's hard to come up with tasks like this because you know if you come up with a task that requires somebody to write something then that excludes a lot of people who have bad writing skills uh, you know if you have somebody photoshop something then those people who don't have photoshop are left out in the dark so it's kind of a hard hard task to kind of balance these different things and and like i said this week they just kind of went with a little flash arcade game so hopefully people can have some fun and uh, still win some prizes if you're not a creative type person also commenting on local ad was ww who said that this was my favorite episode so far perhaps it was because it was the most hopeful Dwight sees some hope that Angela still thinks of him, O.D. Pam turns out to be a promising animator. The whole office gets a chance to explore their creativity. I don't care what Michael says, that last ad song from Daryl and the crew was great. And Michael gets to be the, quote, world's best boss, unquote, by creating what was really the superior commercial. The world's most creative boss, actually. I think that thing said that he stuck up there. Yes, uh, that's right. Well, there you go, Kevin, in your face. <laughs> right, uh, this is from Blake talking about Branch Wars. He says, middle of the road episode for me, not bad, not great, just okay. Well, the final conversation between Karen and Jim was so deliciously uncomfortable, it could have been displayed on the UK office. And, yeah, I agree. That was pretty rough. Yeah, I think that was a good observation by Blake that definitely was reminiscent of the UK office. So uh, kudos to Blake for noting that. Uh, Megan also wrote, uh, best episode yet. Oh, man, that was amazing. We haven't had a one-liner like the eyes or the groin of the head in such a long time. Thank you, Mindy Kelling. This episode is definitely the most I've laughed all season. I kept suppressing my laughter because I didn't want to miss a line. Bummer about the writer's strike. This is the season is getting so good. I wonder how it will affect the season's story arc Greg Daniels and company have planned. Uh, any insight from the, um, the office convention on that issue? Uh, no, they're very close-lipped. They're not going to give any spoilers away. In fact, um, Brian Baumgartner said that uh, The Office is like the lost of sitcom worlds, that they're they're very paranoid about spoilers leaking out. They're very very, guard, very guarded about all this stuff. So, no, they didn't give us any, any, any hints or anything that's going to happen. Did they give any indication that they were prepared to go from 30 episodes down to... 25 or 22 or something like that? Well, I mean, I asked Greg Daniels about the strike and what the effect it might have on uh, on the show, and what he said was that they really didn't know for sure, that he wasn't even sure, in fact, if they could uh, edit or produce scripts that were already in the can. So he was very up in the air about the whole thing. Uh, Kent Bornack, one of the producers on the show, said that basically he said how for every month of the strike there's going to be three episodes that are cut out of the season so i mean there's really nothing they can do at this point uh, to try to salvage it i mean obviously obviously if they're going to have a cohesive arc and there's only going to be 12 episodes or something this season you know it's going to be lost so we'll have to see i guess just wait and see what happens tina from the blog page said i'm a diehard member of team karen I'm not one of those Fairweather fans who gives up on a character just because the actress is no longer on the show. I don't even need her to be with Jim because, frankly, she's too good for him. Ouch. 
So I was surprised <laughs> to find that for the first time I really disliked an episode. Finally, Stanley staying in Scranton makes no sense. I understand that for the show to work, they need to keep the characters where he is, but there's no reason for Stanley to choose to work for Michael for less money. Uh, for now, I'm hopeful that we'll see Karen again in a better episode. Well, I mean, never underestimate the power of uh, being in that rut, is all i got to say, as far as Stanley goes. He has a daughter in school. Um, his wife has a job, I'm sure. So, you know, it's, it takes a lot of energy and effort to, to uproot yourself and move to a new community. Eh, I've yeah. never done it. And Stanley has no energy, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah. Melanie finally wrote, um, I actually really like that they're showing us the differences between Jim and Pam. Some relationships thrive on differences, and I, for one, am really excited to see a TV couple work through them and stay together to spike their independent ideas and personalities. I hope I'm saying what I mean, but I really love that Jim just wasn't meant for the Finer Things Club, but he wanted to be in it with Pam. I have a feeling he won't be in it much longer, probably by his own choice. I think it makes the relationship more interesting and less of a blissful perfection, which, of course, is boring. So another good comment from Melanie. Yeah, and like we said, I mean, we've been kind of predicting that there's going to be some rough times ahead. And, you know, again, I don't want this to be uh, will they, won't they, on and off, 10-year Ross and Rachel, whatever thing. But it, it makes sense. I think it definitely makes sense in the plot since they spent all last year getting Pam to a point where she's kind of trying to better herself. And so there's going to be some kind of conflict. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Join us next week around this time. For episode 33, Survivor Man, please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. Also, remember on Thursday nights, feel free after a new episode airs to join us in the chat room on the blog page. That is, uh, go to the TWSSpodcast.com and hit in the sidebar there is a little green button that says join the chat there's usually 10 or 15 or 20 people that that show up in there so come see what thursday matt has to say about the episode this next week if you have a chance leave positive feedback on itunes and spread the word in the various the office related forums every little bit helps check out kevin's blog and podcast over at fratpackpodcast.com or on itunes music for this episode was provided by the pod show podsafe music network Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to nbc.com slash the office during the week for more deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, and more. And in fact, they have posted full video of the writer's block event. They've posted full video of the cast Q&A event as well and some other videos around town in, during the Scranton convention. And I, I met three people that worked for NBC.com. They're very, very good people, very, very positive fans of the show, so go on over there and check them out. Fly away, sweet little bird. Fly away and be free.